One, two, three, four. In this podcast, you will only hear Knights of Vader, Knights of Vader. Includes, but is not led to. Talk of Star Wars, not Reagans. We can't truly prepare for the joke that follows this song. But hey, we give it a try. So here's the Knights of they are divided For equal sequel, hate and love they fight I know that we are just musicians hired And their time is up So here's the Knights of Vader Impressive Most impressive A big thank you to Inisperiority Complex For providing our theme song It is December 5th, 2018 And we're talking The Holiday Special Again, my name is Zach Weber. Tonight, I am joined by Rob. Hello, hello. Unfortunately, no. For once, the Amelia Clark joke does not do itself justice when compared to the holiday special. And I'm proud to have back tonight's Evader straight from the Octo Force tree as he sits under it with his big bowl of blue glowy ice cream, Force Ghost Jim. Good evening, everybody. Glad to be back. Thanks for having me on, Zach. You know what, folks, we knew when we had this massive of a topic to talk about in last year's episode, it was just Zenger, Mark and I, and this time I had to bring in the big gun, the force ghost. I think this, as of the 2018 recording, we're going to get the final say on the holiday special once force ghost Jim has given us his opinion. Rob, not so much, but definitely <laughs> force ghost Jim. So gentlemen, we are back. It is the 40th anniversary of the holiday special. It premiered in November 1978. I think everybody knows the backstory of this, the fact that it only aired once. Uh, George Lucas infamously said that if he had enough time and money, he would track down every single copy and smash it with a hammer. But yet we are still here 40 years later talking about this monstrosity. So let's get out of the way first. Rob, what is your history with the holiday special? Uh, I think it basically comes down to when I was in my uh, undergrad and I was trying to collect a bunch of movies, a good subset of those were the really, really bad movies. You know, those those films that you can just watch and either you are bored to tears or you can make fun of things in that category. And the heart, uh, the Star Wars holiday special kind of came just through one of those channels. And I downloaded it. We watched it the first time and everybody hated it except for me. But I guess more on that later, right? <laughs> oh, definitely. So, Jim, considering oh <laughs> <laughs> considering that you were around for the original trilogy and you were in our uh, before we started recording discussion, you were in the prime demographic for this in 1978. So, what are your thoughts on the holiday special? I, I you know what? I'm not even sure where to. With this thing, I uh, remember I grew up. So I was ten years old when this came out, and again, it only aired once. And then basically, this was the first time I had gone back and seriously watched it. I initially watched it. What I tell you, the things I remember were the Wookies, but not the extent that they're actually in the whole thing. I mentally blocked that out and only put them in a little bit. And then I remember the Stormtroopers, Han Solo. And Boba Fett. 
And that is really about all I remember. And I have not, that's, tonight was the first night I'd actually sat through and painfully watched the whole thing. Thank the Lord for DVR and fast forward because, oh my God. <laughs> but if that makes any sense, then I, it, it's really horrible. And I've got thoughts on what that is. But in terms of as a child, I don't remember it being that bad because it was Star Wars. It was 1978. Everybody was looking for Star Wars stuff. You know, and, and then I'm sure that's what they needed. And they rushed and put this pile of garbage out. But it was still Star Wars at the time. But being a 10-year-old kid, I didn't realize how really bad it was. But you have to understand, we were watching things on, what, 19-inch color television sets? Yeah. I mean, we weren't watching things on, like, I just watched on a 55-inch television. The and, ideal way for this thing to be watched in. Oh, my God, no. It, thank the Lord the, the sides were cut off of it. It was just four by three because it was all I could do to stomach it as an adult watching it. But yeah, I, uh, I never have to watch this again, ever, ever, ever. I understand that there's people out there that this is their thing, i.e. Zach. And, uh, I, uh, they can have that no judgment, but please, please, please don't make me watch it again. Please. I have a feeling that Jim's going to be unavailable next year. When I ask him <laughs> to talk about the holiday special again. <laughs> yes, I think I'll be probably reorganizing my sock drawer, hitting my hand with a hammer, uh -oh. running a marathon in 30 degree below weather. Um, anything but that, Zach, probably. I really, yeah. Don't call me, I'll call you type thing. Oh, dear. All righty. <laughs> all you, all you uh, gym fans out there, you're going to be severely disappointed next year, just letting you know. <laughs> Oh dear! Uh, for the record, it's not lost on any of us here at Knights of Vader that Jim is the only member of uh, of the group that has legit groupies. I, I want to give a shout out on Jim's behalf to the groupies of Force Ghost Jim in the Facebook group. Jim oh, says hello. Hi, uh, everybody. <laughs> he loves he loves you all, folks. He wants you to know that, even though he's only here sometimes in spirit. Right. Uh, yeah. So. So my experience with the, with the holiday special, and I'll keep my thoughts rather brief, because last year I'm pretty sure Zenger fell asleep in the first 20 minutes of it, and Mark gave up, I think, two-thirds of the way through. I was only aware of the holiday special in around 2006. This was before it was available on YouTube, so the only way to get a copy was to get it like at a convention as a bootleg. So, Or I think it showed up on eBay periodically. And that's kind of, I really wanted it in 2006. I think I asked my parents for it. It's like a Christmas present. And they had like, like what the hell is this holiday special? What, what store do you buy this? And I'm like, no, you have to buy it from a shady guy on eBay. <laughs> and they're like, well, you're not getting that then. So it took me a while. And I don't think until, like, I watched bits and pieces of it. Like everybody else, I knew the, the very negative rep reputation it had in the Star Wars fan base. And I had watched the... The cartoon segment, the animated section, I think it's on the Attack of the Clones DVD. It's like an extra if you knew how to like find it. And I didn't watch it in its entirety until last year. And I, it's weird and it's baffling. Yet I want to say it wasn't until this year's rewatch of it that I'm really starting to appreciate it for the surreal masterpiece that it is. I, it's I know. just a massive train wreck. It This whole thing is a massive train wreck. And to have this show in the middle of it, which is even more of a disaster, my word. It, 
Well, that's the thing about it is that I don't think there's any circumstance to this where um, casual or even hardcore fans would appreciate this. I think you need to be a psychotic like Rob and I to appreciate this to some degree. I think uh, the cinematic status of the holiday special might bleed into this discussion a little bit. So, like, I, like Rob said, of his group of friends, he was the only one that appreciated it some way. And as I've thought about this movie over the last few days, preparing for this recording, I feel this is a very, like, okay, I guess, what would you call this, Rob? Is this, is this surreal cinema or absurd cinema? Uh, I, I kind of want to say a blend of both, because I think... The the scenes that aren't the cutaways, you know, kind of the I guess the frame of this of this movie or TV special, whatever category it falls under, which is just the Wookiees and the Stormtroopers and, you know, the Han Solo Chewbacca Life Day story. I would say that's pretty surreal. But then the things that we kind of watch, those are more absurd. Does that make sense? It's a beautiful pairing. Well, well, that's the. That's the weird thing about this, because I don't know how many people in our audience, I don't mean to sound condescending, though, but what a variety show is. Like, Jim, do you want to tell our audience what a variety show was back during the the 70s and 80s? Yeah, basically what a variety show was, for some reason back in the day, television, again, was getting more and more out there, and everybody at this point has televisions. Again, they're smaller. And it was more like in transition, so you so you had lots of different things going on in it because there were musical numbers. There was a variety of even jokes in there. There was, ever watch? I tell you, the, the perfect correlation to this thing, and I just popped into my head is an episode of Hee Haw. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I can see that. that well, that, because. That's just. It's got the it's got a variety of mix for everybody. They keep changing it up, and they've got you know some of the you know there's some really famous people of the time in this ep in this show. I mean, you've got pretty famous people going into this, other than the star the cast of Star Wars, you know, and it it's, it it really's got the variety show feel. It's just not meant to be that. Well, that's the weird thing with this, where, like, it's hard to believe that there's a time in the Star Wars, or I guess in Star Wars' existence, where it wasn't a cultural touchstone. Because, like Jim said, you do have people in here that were, like, you have Jefferson Starship, the band. You have Diane Carroll, the singer. You have a very early form of Cirque du Soleil entertainment. And yet you have actors like Harvey Corman. And oh god, what's his name? What's the other guy's name? Uh, Rob. Uh, uh, Art Carney. Art Carney, of course. Art Carney. How can I forget Art Carney? <laughs> you you do have all these characters. Obviously, B. Arthur's in here, but at this point, she wasn't really. Uh, her namesake is being a golden girl wasn't there, much like Bruce as, Valanche uh, would say. Uh, as Bruce Valanche said, she was not yet a golden girl. <laughs> and I, because okay, prior to, uh, showing what a bad student I am. About 20 minutes before we started recording this, I found a fantastic YouTube video where Bruce Valanche is interviewed on his involvement with the Star Wars Holiday Special. I want everybody right now, if you don't know who Bruce Valanche is, I want you to pause the episode, or maybe we'll just wait for you to do it, 
I want you to pull up the web browser on your phone or your computer, or if you're listening to this in a car, do not stop. We'll have to, you'll figure it out later when you get into the office, then you do it. If your boss says you have a meeting right now, you say, no, I have to look up Bruce Valanche. Oh, I thought you were about to tell them to do something dangerous while driving, Zach. <laughs> well, there's always that possibility. I, I can't, no one's ever going to see you. So do what you want. Um, ask, ask Siri or Alexa. But I want you to look up Bruce Valanche and say, this is the guy that was the like one of the lead writers in creative forces on this. That should tell you everything you need to know about Bruce Valanche. He did an interview, I think it's only a couple years old now, but I'm going to try to insert as much of it as I can in here. It's about 15 minutes long, and I don't want to do that, but I might be forced to because it's extremely enlightening. Zach made me watch it. Like, as soon as I got on the call. <laughs> yeah, Rob had a gun to his head. It's like, he's like, you better listen to this or else. Yeah, but, Zach and Jim talked so much bad, said so many bad things about me while I wasn't listening to him, I'm sure. <laughs> of course. But basically what Bruce Lynch says was that they had to create something that would keep Star Wars in the consciousness. And he says a couple of times that they were on, like, hallucinogenics while they created this. Yes, uh, he uses the, uh, I, I guess, the most politically correct statement of that ever saying they were in altered states yes he yes he uses the correct terminology <laughs> and so again i don't want to rob bruce valance because bruce valance has done a bunch of things he's he's an accomplished writer he's by no means a, a slouch or or somebody that's just a has-been he's been actively working in hollywood for decades so I, I don't want to rob him of him just telling the story. If, if, if the whole interview is in here, sorry for making you listen to it, but trust me, you'll appreciate it. At Star Wars Trivia Night, you'll be the, the talk of the town. Being based in Los Angeles while the show was in Utah certainly afforded you an opportunity for what I'm sure is one of your favorite highlights of your career, the uh, Star Wars Holiday Special. Yes, God, you're hitting all my, all, all my great lights, all my, my great moments. It what was, was that show? <laughs> that well, that was um, Star Wars was a huge hit in 1977, and uh, back in the day there were the three networks, and if you wanted maximum exposure, you went on one of them. And George Lucas was shooting The Empire Strikes Back, and he, I think, was a little skittish about the brand, the Star Wars brand hadn't really set in yet. So he, uh, he wanted to ensure that, that the public remembered Star Wars when the sequel came back. Because you have to remember that this was early in the blockbuster movie syndrome. The first blockbuster was Jaws in 74, something like that. And uh, so they were in the business of figuring out how to make these tentpole movies now, you know, the Harry Potter and uh, Transformers and all these things. This was the beginning of all that. So one way to ensure that people remembered it was to do a big television show built around the Star Wars brand. And he had, he had seven or ten, I think he said. He had ten stories he'd fleshed out, and he intended on filming six of them, which he did. It took him 30 years to film the six, but he eventually did film six and the other three he sold off to other other things one became a, a novel one became a comic book series and this last one that he had uh, he decided to turn into a television special but 
I think in his mind it was going to be like a Star Wars movie, but there was more money to be made in a big variety show because there was there was something so bizarre about the the idea of doing Star Wars with variety. So he um, he sold this to CBS, and uh, unfortunately, the central characters in this story were the Wookies, and the Wookies look kind of like me. And they don't speak any discernible language. They sound like fat people having orgasms. It's like, trust me, I know. And that would be like, that's hi, honey, I'm home. So we had to have people with them at all times to translate what they were saying. And so we had like Art Carney as an intergalactic traveling salesman trying to sell Mrs. Chewbacca appliances and it was all about he was establishing the plot hi where's chewing oh really he's in the the y-winged fighter oh and the troopers are following him yes we hope he gets home safely uh, and the the idea of the the story was that there is a, a, a holiday called life day which george had invented and i think he hoped it would catch on like festivus <laughs> and um uh, uh, Chewbacca had to get back to the Wookiee planet to celebrate Life Day. So Chewbacca was in a um, uh, the Millennium Falcon with uh, Han Solo, Luke Skywalker, and Princess Leia, and they were all trying. They were trying to get him home for Life Day while avoiding Imperial tr- troopers who were on their tail. And uh, so one day was spent shooting with all, the, all of them, and. Those scenes were interspersed through the thing. And the rest of it was on the um, planet, on the, uh, the Wookiee planet, at the Wookiee home. And they, li- they had a lovely treehouse where they lived. And there was Mrs. Chewbacca, and uh, there was Grandpa uh, Wookiee, and there was a little kid, a little, little kid Wookiee. And um, they all lived together and all <laughs> to each other uh, for hours. And we had devices to get them out of, to get us out of their home. There was like a helmet thing that you put on and it went into the Wookiee brain and projected fantasies in like a glass globe, which we would then come in on and, and we would see whatever the fantasy was. And the grandfather had a fantasy of Diane Carroll, of all things, um, in a Bob Mackie gown singing something and that was supposed to be Cher but she turned it down and a whole list of people turned it down and Diane wanted to do it uh, um, the little kid had uh, a fantasy of uh, Jefferson Starship and so we had them singing and he had a later, a later fantasy of Cirque du Soleil which was just starting out and um, we had them and then there was also of course uh, a television set that Mrs. Chewbacca watched. She watched a cooking show, and we had Harvey Corman as a Julia Child, uh, with, with a, as an alien Julia Child who had eight arms. And so, you know, you tell you, first we're going to make leek soup. First, take a leek. Oh! And then on the way to um, the planet, they stopped in ta- on Tatooine. And Tatooine is a Star Wars uh, fanatic's will tell you, and um, all the, the traitors and warriors and 
aliens show up at the at the uh, cantina, and uh, the cantina was run for our purposes by B. Arthur. Uh, she was Maud at the time. She hadn't yet become a Golden Girl, uh, but uh, she was you know very popular. But at the time, nobody really knew. Uh, her Broadway credentials, that she'd been in the original Mame as Vera, and that she'd been in the original Fiddler on the Roof as the Answer the Matchmaker. And so she wanted to do something musical. And um, this being the Star Wars special, there really was nothing musical. So we had to come up with something. So uh, they they brought in uh, Ken and Mitzi Welch, and they wrote a, a Brechtian song. Uh, which I don't remember, but it, uh, it's one of those uh, life is miserable, but here's to life kind of songs. And uh, it was it was loosely built around the Alabama song, A Moon of Alabama. It had a lot of that in it. And uh, so she was singing this number. Uh, after she did a, a thing with Harvey Corman, who was an alien at the bar, and she kept pouring drinks down his head and things like that. Now, the aliens were all... I believe, out of George's closet. They were all aliens he hadn't used in other Star Wars movies. And so some of them were not, like, in great shape. You know, they were, like, you know, straight pieces of scotch tape that they were keeping them together. And a lot of the aliens that he had, he had decided to cut from the other movies. And one of them uh, was, uh, we, called, we called him face. He was a total vagina. The face was, George is very vaginal. If you'll notice the Star Wars movies, there's always some vagina imagery. I mean, there's one, in one of those movies, uh, there's a huge vagina in the desert that swallows Jabba the Hutt. And Carrie Fisher's, like, chained to him for a period. And there, it, vagina imagery keeps showing up in all of his films. Anyway, so this one, there was, there was no mistaking. This, this, you know, this guy was a huge vagina face. And um, so, of course, I, my goal was to get him as close to B as possible. So they couldn't edit him out of the shot. And the network censor, who was at CBS and was not as spry as the ABC censor, um, was not paying close attention. So I would say, let's move the face over a little bit. And the problem was we were shooting at uh, the Warner Brothers lot in the valley, and it was 140 degrees. It was the dead of summer. And um, these things are unbelievably heavy. And people just kept passing out. Now, B would be singing, and all of a sudden you'd see two aliens do a face plant because they, they just couldn't take it anymore. And um, so it was all day trying to get this number and, and, you know, bringing paramedics in to take care of the aliens and all that. And, uh, and so every time an alien uh, fell out, I would, I would move the vagina closer to her. So the vagina was now over her shoulder. And, um, and she said, oh, moon of Alabama. And she's singing away, and there's this vagina next to her nodding in rhythm, you know. And... Um, and, and she, we got through the entire take, and she finishes the song and does a huge gesture, and she knocked the guy right in the, in the vagina head. And it was, that was the final straw, and he just went over at the end of the take, like he was, he was dead. And, and B looked and said, I've never hit a man in the before. <laughs> I wish that was preserved. I bet it is somewhere. Warner Brothers in your vault, or whoever owns Star Wars. Uh, that was, for me, the highlight of the entire shoot. And what happened was um, uh, the show aired on Thanksgiving weekend. And uh, I always thought it got great numbers. And now, in, uh, later, I, I find from people who've done due diligence that the, the ratings were not as, as fantastic as all that. 
So, but it seemed to me at the time it made a great impression. I mean, everybody thought it was ridiculous, but all of those shows were ridiculous. I mean, all those theme specials were kind of crazy. What happened with that one was George was in, so incensed at what it, it had become that he he tried to buy all the copies of it and burn it, and you know, it, so as a result, it was underground until the internet came along thirty years later, and people began leaking copies of this thing that they had sequestered for years. And a whole culture of kids who had grown up watching the Star Wars movies on DVD realized that there was this whole Star Wars thing they had never seen that had been hidden from them. And they couldn't quite believe it. And when they saw what it was, of course, they were really mad themselves because like, you know, they, they said, how could George Lucas do this? And, of course, George's explanation was, I had nothing to do with it. I did it to introduce Bubba Fett. Bubba Fett was another Star Wars character that came later on. And, in fact, the first Bubba Fett sequence was an animated sequence in the middle of the, of the Star Wars holiday special. In any event, when he, he did the, the second three movies, The Phantom Menace and, and so forth, uh, he was really concerned because he, he, was, he thought that the fans were really mad at him. And, of course... They weren't. I mean, they, they went to see those three pictures. They ate them up. But from that moment on, all of these, these people have discovered this thing. And had I known in 1978 when we were doing the thing that it would have lived that long, I probably would have paid closer attention. We probably wouldn't have been quite so chemically altered when we did it. And we probably would have thought, gee, someone's going to watch this 30 years from now. I mean, you never thought that anybody would watch any of this stuff back in the day. Now, of course, everything you do, I mean, you know, for all I know, there's somebody in the corner over there tweeting this entire conversation. And, and when I get home, there will be a stink bomb from George Lucas <laughs> because it will travel in cyberspace. Now everything is documented. Back then, nothing was documented. But uh, the history of the show aside, I look at this now, and I think it's interesting that that this really still isn't a major talking point in the Star Wars fandom. Like everybody still complains about the prequels. We uh, the complaining about the Last Jedi still hasn't subsided. Yet you have this thing here, which is a definition of a oddity, not just in the Star Wars fandom, but an oddity in just o- overall visual media. And yet nobody really talks about this. And I have to ask Jim, because Jim, like he said, he really hasn't paid as much thought in his how many years of being a Star Wars fan. And I want to ask Jim, is there a reason why people don't talk about this more, considering how much Star Wars fans love to complain about things? Two couple things. It it, 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 was, it was an existence before there was ever such thing as social media. It didn't exist. So the thing is, it's in the past, and you know there's not a lot of copies about around of it. Now you've got, back in the day, there wasn't, and it was just one of those things. It just, you watched it and you saw it. It's just like if you missed Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer when it played, or, it's, or Charlie Brown Christmas when it aired on network television, you were just out of luck. You just missed it. So it's kind of that mentality of, I've seen it, you know, and then, again, being of such poor quality, no one liked it really anyway. I will give it, it was Star Wars at a time when there was a need and there was apparently a want for a Star Wars show. Just too bad we got this, but, you know, 
Does that make sense? And now the oh. social media, it's it, it, it's in the forefront. Heck, I watched it on YouTube. Back in the day, someone I knew had a VHS copy of it, and that was gold. So, Rob, what what is your answer to that? Why do you think that, considering how much Star Wars fans like to complain about Star Wars, why isn't this still a talking... Like It's, it's the butt of a joke, don't get me wrong. I think Jim kind of alluded to that. But... Is there a reason why we don't focus on this, considering how much we love to just uh, eviscerate Star Wars on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question, and I like Jim's input about you know the the social media aspect, where when this came out, that social media was not a thing, and now it very much is. Um, but you know, at the same time, when Return of the Jedi came out, you know that didn't have social media, but now people hate on it. So I have to imagine, or maybe you know, kind of conjecture that. This kind of fell out of the public eye because it never got, you know, a special edition release like uh, like the original trilogy did. And that kind of got revamped and then the prequels and then it kind of, you know, pushed Star Wars into a newer generation. This, if I know my history of it correctly, originally started to pop up at things like Comic-Con and other conventions where you could only get bootlegs and stuff like that. So maybe the, the outspoken community doesn't take it seriously because it's not put forth as a true Star Wars uh, property, I guess. And on top of that, I think the other thing is everybody watched it, realized it was horrible. You know, (laughs) but you know, I mean, everybody, even the people that participated in it, you know, there wasn't a need to go back and watch it again, because again, network television, once it was on, it was gone and normally would have seen it in reruns. But in this particular show, it only aired one time. Mm hmm. There wasn't that ability to go back and watch, well, let's just pick on Zach again. Let's just really get him riled up. We'll just uh, go pick up on, on Clone Wars the movie. Let's just go in on that. That's an old school joke. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, but you know what I mean? Where I have Star Wars Clone Wars on Blu-ray. I can put it in and watch it if I so choose. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was network television. It was horrible to begin with. I saw it as a child, but it wasn't something that everybody brought up. Hey, let's go watch the holiday wasn't what people did it just it just wasn't i guess my question then would be uh i I mentioned it you know the special edition releases do you think that if if the holiday special did get an update from george lucas you know like of history was different and he didn't want to destroy all the copies of it then i think yes people would be talking about it and complaining about it today i think the Lucas wanting to destroy it is a weird little like factoid Mm -hmm. that's kind of like a like a thing that people like place in there and it's like a little like anecdotal saying about how bad it is. Like, oh, George Lucas released the prequels. Yeah, even he hates the holiday special. Okay. It's 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 a weird little thing that people use to kind of like reaffirm their notions. That like, oh, George Lucas does have some humanity to him. Mm-hmm. That's the weird thing with this because I I think I, I like to think of myself as a diehard Star Wars fan, like many people out there, and I never had really any urge to watch this. It wasn't until I was kind of like I always like I guess it's another thing too where like where Rob and I are psychos we're like we're 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 part of that culture of like I guess just media consumption where if somebody says something's bad that kind of our ears perk up yeah it's like a it's like a visual form of masochism or something where people are like no don't watch it we just have to see it <laughs> yeah and I think most people when they hear something is bad just turns them off it's like mm-hmm. I, I guess that's only natural that's how 
how our brains are wired. Someone says this is bad, and you figure, okay, I'm not going to waste my time on this. Never mind, devote two ep- episodes of a podcast to it. <laughs> and I think that's what it's because, again, I, I was always aware of this. Like, like, clips of it would show up on YouTube, like I said, and I'd watch it. And it wasn't until I want to say the last year where like, I think now we're getting to the part where Rob wants to talk about is that you look at like you look at this and it really is even for 70s culture. It's weird. Like even going back, you get in the time machine, go back to 1978. And I think it even goes beyond like I think good, bad. Those are those are relative terms. One yeah. man's trash is another man's fan four stick. It's. <laughs> It's one of those things where <laughs> one man's trash is another man's good stuff. <laughs> there you go. And I think that's what it is, though. Is that I don't like, okay, I think a fair comparison to this is something like Tom Green's Freddie Got Fingered. I don't know if I have to bleep that out. <laughs> it's a title, so I shouldn't. I'm referencing it. It's you have not to, a, it makes sense in the movie. It's, it's like the least bad thing once you watch the movie, I think. <laughs> something like that. And I feel like I, there's, there's a Roger Ebert quote. Any of you have seen Tom Green's Freddy Got Fingered? He says something like, this movie might, like, this movie's a mess, but maybe, like, years from now, it will be recognized as, like, a surreal masterpiece. <laughs> right on. And I think, like, we look at something like that, and we have to look at it and be like, oh... Even though it does not work in any sort of conventional sense, maybe overall, or like maybe just the fact that like nothing else, like it might be bad or just surreal, but it mm-hmm. really is unparalleled in what it unintentionally accomplished. Yeah, yeah, I have to agree. You know, when, every time I watch this, and I've, I've watched this, you know, probably more times than I should admit, it's with a sense of almost, you know, morbid curiosity that something like this can even exist and did exist back that long ago you figure this thing where this thing had to start and go to get on network television because at the time there was only three networks and this yeah. occupied two hours on primetime network well the thing okay the thing about that though and it's like you were kind of saying jim was that think about it 19 may 1977 star wars is released and right. it's this cinematic tour de force that nobody has ever seen before like jaws paved the way for it but there really was nothing quite like star wars i think i've said it before here on this podcast or maybe cinematis i forget where when i was in um college film studies professors i asked them like was it true the seismic impact of star wars on on just movies and they say you can really kind of boil and they weren't star wars fantasies teachers and they told me you can really boil down looking at movies and cinema before star wars and after star wars star wars changed the game in pretty much every single sense of the word and like jim said you they, they want to keep star wars in the public consciousness like they're what at this point they're really world it's all about ratings, it's all about ratings. Well, I, I think it's about ratings, though, but I think the, the ultimate goal of this holiday special for Star Wars was to keep it in people's minds between now and Star Wars 2, the sequel. Right. And it was also, for ABC to take it on, they were assuming it would be good and it would increase their ratings in the time slot they aired it on. 
What network was this on? Was this ABC or was it uh, C? I want to say it was CBS. CBS, whatever network it aired on. Again, I did, but yeah, that's you know, there's a couple things going on with that. So, well, well, I think the I think there is a rather logical explanation to that, Jim. Like, I get the point you're you're getting at, where it's like, oh, how on earth did this get made, and why did no one try to stop it? But I think Star Wars at the time was such a like, and we take Star Wars for granted now. In like kind of like the the cultural relic it is for a lot of like especially the new generation. But back in nineteen, like think about it. This this aired in November of nineteen seventy eight. Star Wars is a year and a half old. They probably started. I don't know when they started working on this. It had to be sometime during either the summer of nineteen seventy eight. Star Wars is a year old, and I imagine nobody probably told them no. I, it's I, I think George Lucas, from what Bruce Valanche said, delegated to them. What delegated to the writers what to do, and it was well, no one thought Star Wars was going to work. So who are we to question them? And I think it's a combination of like, like Rob said, but Bruce Valance said, uh, mind altering substances combined with no, there really weren't any checks and balances. There was nobody saying, well, maybe we shouldn't have the first fifteen minutes just be Wookiees growling. Well, and, and, and that's exactly right. Plus, there was no canon. There was no, there was one Star Wars movie, and that was it. You know, there wasn't a wide variety of things going on besides the one movie and the merchandising with it and all along those lines. Uh, so there wasn't, you know, the, right, it was just that type of thing. Well, plus, well, it's like, like you said, like, we kind of talked about this before we started recording, though. But like Jim brought up the good point that like you watch the way the stormtroopers are holding their blasters. The the, the cop and it's so funny is in watching this, everything in this is done on a budget and cheaply done. Everything from stem to stern, it just beginning to end is just cheap. But again, this was network television. It was slotted. They was there to entertain the family because there wasn't anything else. No one had home computers. Nobody had any of this. What people did was they watched the television. That was the family entertainment. And that's what people did. They ate dinner and they sat down and watched the special. I'm sure it was hyped up to begin with and everybody was looking forward to it because, again, it was a Star Wars. I don't remember. I remember watching it and wanting to watch it, but I don't remember the hype up before it. Uh, but, you know... This is a different era. This is a different mindset. This is where the family sat around the 19-inch black and white television or color television at the time, if you were lucky. Biggest screen you had, I, I want to say, was 19-inch. And if you had 19-inch television, you were living large. And then if it was color at that, I mean, it was just, it's just a different era. You know? It just is. Yeah. But I think the uh, part of the reason... Okay, I'm trying to figure out a way how to transition from that. But, like, I don't think it's that this was done cheap. Like, I would imagine if you probably got the budget for this, which I, I don't oh, know. It probably, was, it, probably had a, it probably was a lot of big budget at the time. It probably was compared to other things. This is a two-hour show. Yeah, and because it, I think this is what differentiates Star Wars as the movie from other, like, uh, sci-fi at the time and this other like low budget things was that star wars showed that with the right level of finesse you can make something that looks exotic look real and tangible 
And I think the holiday special is the example of what Star Wars could have been if you didn't have the right people involved with it. Because, like Jim said, yes, it had a lot of money poured into it, but at the same time, it's really like beyond the the story elements. The like everything else is rough around the edges. There's no, and I tell you, going back and watching it, you have no idea what this is about. And, and they, and, and what the show that took two hours literally could have been done in fifteen minutes, maybe, maybe ten, maybe ten. <laughs> Depends if you wanted to put up with all the Wookie howling and growling. Well, come on, I think that goes without saying that we we want that. If we don't get Wookie howling for like five minutes straight at the random times of this segment, you're not getting your money's worth. There should have been more. I was upset there was even English in this. <laughs> <laughs> now you're just being mean. Now you're just, now you're just poking the bears now. I see how it's... <laughs> oh, Poking the Wookiees, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> ah, 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 even better. But no, like Jim was saying, like, like the stormtroopers hold their blasters wrong. The planet of Kashyyyk is called Kazoo. I, I, think, I picked up on that. I was like, Kazoo is not the name of the planet, right? Because I knew it was right. Kashyyyk even from like the prequels and stuff. Well, but it's funny is it didn't have a name. Uh, yeah, like you said, there was not no canon. Yeah, there was no canon. There was, there was one movie and that was it. That's a good Can, point. See, that's something I wouldn't have thought of and I didn't notice the blaster thing at all either. So that's oh, really, really cool. The cut of the costumes is wrong. It, it, in terms, besides what I do on the side, it... It, it, it just well it's also for someone who's a fan who grew up on all these it's just jarring you go oh that doesn't look right oh no golly no okay oh okay yeah oh yeah oh all right but yeah that's but at the time a 10 year old kid it was yeah i didn't have it now i'm like oh my god what why but it's okay I don't have to watch it again. Zach says I don't have to, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> say, no, I said you're going to be unavailable when I ask you to watch it again. Uh, I your part, be so. unavailable on that one. Force Ghost Jim will be hanging out in the tree for sure. <laughs> I don't know. Don't force, don't force Ghosts have like movie night or whatever? And what if someone chooses this one? Would you just not attend? Right. <laughs> I think the best quote I've heard on uh, something like that in a long time. My uh, friend of mine looked at me and goes, you know what, Jim? I'm older than seven times three. I don't have to do anything I don't want to. <laughs> Force goes, Jim will stay up in the force tree that night. He won't come down. Ha. Yeah, you'll, you, you'll hear uh, force crickets with me. I won't be around. Oh, bazinga. <laughs> bazinga. Oh, dear. Okay, so now I want to start delving into the specifics of this show. And for those of you who have not watched it, which, guessing by the numbers, is hardly any of you. And, like, it begins with Han Solo and Chewbacca in a very makeshift Millennium Falcon cockpit. Yeah, it is nasty. Because I'm pretty sure they're sitting in office chairs. Like, if you get a really good look at those chairs... (laughs) I'm pretty sure those were, like... um, office store like specials um they're yeah, to me to me it looked like the console of the falcon was a refrigerator box but at the same time the entire set was a bigger refrigerator box <laughs> <laughs> yeah that, that's pretty good when they shook it the whole thing shook and looked like the walls were going to fall over <laughs> That, that's the true sign of uh, Mark uh, craftsmanship. In the- but you know what? I will say something about this show. 
you could probably make seven or eight really good drinking games out of this. <laughs> oh man. I think Jim might just segue us into our cinematis. What do we do? What do we eat during this? <laughs> yeah, nothing but alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> so no, so beginning killers. Painkillers. Oh my lord, that is a, a. So Jim, you are advocating that we drink alcohol, take painkillers, and watch the holiday special. If I'm you're volunteering sure. to watch it again, you know my opinion about this. That's <laughs> on you. I'm for sure. At least I'm pretty sure that's a war crime in most countries. <laughs> Watching this show again is a crime. Oh snap! So we have Han Solo and Chewbacca, and we basically just kind. Then we go to Kazoo where we see the Baca family. We have Mala, Chewie's wife, Lumpy, Chewie's son, and Itchy. Itchy's Chewie's grandfather, right? I think so. Dad, Not- he's his dad, I think. Okay, so, so I, think it's, I think it's weird that Mala has her father-in-law staying with them. I think, like, that's another weird thing, too. It's like, why do you need the Wookiee grandfather, who maybe has one of the most hideous-looking designs in all of Star Wars oh, yeah. lore? Yeah, it's ugly. It's, it's, well, it's a little scary. Well, that's, a, that's, the, that's another fascinating aspect of this. Like, Wookiees are, like, inherently, like, cute, cuddly creatures, yet Itchy is just, like... Like nightmare fuel, one hundred percent. And he has like a corresponding like nightmare fuel yell. Like the other Wookies do the ah, and he's like ah. It's it's more of like a bark. Which again, the, the face it reminds me of is the alien out the the alien that gets destroyed right out of the gate at, at the end of the movie is Alien Resurrection, the, the hybrid. Then I saw that tonight and went, oh God, I didn't need to see that again. Thank you so much. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. (laughs) Oh man, folks, you better enjoy this Force Go Jim and Pants because there's a very real chance that he never comes back after this. (laughs) Oh God. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it just, you know, but that's what what popped into my head. And again, I'm one of the weird people that grew up on this thing and saw it initially when it came out. And I think I turned out okay. I think years of therapy have helped. But it's it's one of those things. And plus, you you mentally blocked it out after all these years. Well, I did. I mentally blocked out at least an hour and a half of that. An hour, an hour and a half of a ninety-two minute special. <laughs> Even my ten-year-old brain, Zach, knew it wasn't worth watching. Speaking of ten-year-old brain, Jim, like your daughters <laughs> are Star Wars fans. What would I love that segue. I love that segue, Zach. <laughs> Like, would you ever show this to your daughters as, like, an April Fool's Day prank? Oh, my God. If I, I never even thought about it. Because, you know, I, I like my kids. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I'm kind of even willing to even shield my dogs from it, too. Uh, oh, but, but, you know, I guess I could put them, sit them down through it. But I'm telling you, they're going to look at me and go, are you kidding me? And they're I... just going to move on. Yeah, well, but, but is that a reason not to show it to them? Well, you know what? I don't want to. I mean, they are 18 and 22. They can make their own minds up. I mean, really, seriously, I will. Uh, I could put it in just for the sake of doing it. That's why uh, there's YouTube in existence. I will. Uh, and they watch everything else in the world. Why not that? Right. <laughs> Zach, I will just for you. Oh, boy. I will put them through this and I'll put a comment. Actually, I will let them put comments in and I won't <gasps> edit their comments. Oh boy, that's gonna be exciting. We're gonna do a follow-up. Considering this episode is not going out for like a week, I might be able to do a follow-up. 
Look for okay, but, folks. If Force Ghost Jim gets his daughters back in time for a follow-up, we'll insert the clips here. I will somehow bribe them, conjole them to sit through it. Because once they realize what it is, they won't do it. But I, I will, I will figure out a good bribe for them and uh, let them watch it. Then we'll let we'll let those two tell you what they think about it, and they won't mind telling you either. I I heartily look forward to inserting that into the show before. <laughs> My God. Yes, it's going to be fun. So, okay, so I want to ask you two, out of all the segments in this, and I'm not talking about the little, like, vignettes, but out of all of them, I'm gonna, I think Rob, I know Rob's answer already, but <laughs> Jim, what is your, what is the most, what is the most bizarre segment in all this? Or, like, scene, character, moment, is there one moment that's elevated even higher than all the other craziness that's in this? One thing that I, the, the probably the best way to describe it is, when I look at it, I went, oh, really? That's an oh, really moment. Because, as I've said, it, it's all really bad. But there's a scene in the cartoon where Han Solo gets taken down from hanging upside down. He asks somebody, he goes, what's going on? And everybody says, well, we don't know. And he said, well, someone's got to know what's going on. His face elongates into something out of Beetlejuice. <laughs> <laughs> And I just watched it and went, wow. What happened? I don't know. Well, somebody must know something. Why? And I don't know why, because maybe it's perspective on the screen or it's just a really horrible copy. But in the animation, his face elongates. It almost looks like a horse. And I was like, ooh, that... It, it gave me the heebie-jeebies. I have to comment. I have to comment on this because the Beetlejuice comparison is awesome, Jim. I didn't think of that one. Um, honestly, I think his face is so strange because of a stylistic choice. Right. Because if, if you notice in the rest of this segment, like R2-D2 bends, like metal bends, uh, C-3PO blinks and stuff like that. It's very strange all throughout. But the Beetlejuice comparison is great. I don't know if you've seen it, Jim, but Zach certainly has. I thought Han Solo's face looked a lot like the animation from the triplets of Belleville, the bike rider. What do you think of that? Oh, I don't know that one, but it, it, it's the animation is just so it was just strange to have that show in the middle of the show. But again, I know you have to go back. This was a variety show, so they were putting in anything and everything they can. It's like a this is, if there was ever such thing as a shotgun approach, this is probably it. Because so what you're saying, Jim, is for the next Star Wars live action like TV series or movie, you want a redo of the holiday special. A straight live action remake. <laughs> you know what? This is one of those things where I'm glad Disney uh, got rid of canon. Everything that's not canon <laughs> is not canon now because I'm glad... That's the case with this particular thing. I'm not happy with anything else they've done. But in this particular one, I'm glad it's gone away. Now, I think just out of spite, I think there needs to be a character reference to this in the next movie since they're trying to tie everything else into it. I think there needs to be a character reference into that. Okay. That, okay. That was going to be one of my questions. Uh, that doesn't exist currently. Like, there's no throwback in canon that references okay. this at all. Other than all right. Boba Fett, I mean. All right. Okay, all right, everybody. I'm going to ruin Jim's day. Even more so than I think I already have. Jim, oh, Mala, Mala and Lumpy are canon. I, 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 no, I'm fine with them being canon. 
I'm okay with it because who cares about them? They're on Kashyyyk somewhere or Kazoo or whatever you want to call them. <laughs> they won't make it back in, which is fine. But I'm just saying, you know, in terms of everything else. But yeah, uh, no. I guess I guess let the what did they say? Let the pa- let the past be the past. If you have to kill it, is that it? Is that let the past die. Kill it if you have to. There you go. Here we're, we're back to that again. See, folks, it always goes back to The Last Jedi. Who would have thought that almost at this point, a year later, when Zenger said, I don't want to talk about The Last Jedi anymore because I feel we're <laughs> going to strip mine it, that ironically, a year later, we would still have things to talk about from that film. No, but to answer Rob's question, first, I can kind of see where Han Solo looks like champion from Triple to Belleville, yes. which we covered on Cinemonides. Yeah. And answer his other question about through lines. Um, nothing would make me happier than in episode nine that we get a holiday special reference. I just want to see it. Like, I don't want to reference. I, I mean, I would love a, a like a, a, I guess a dialogue reference. Like, I know there were many of them in Solo, but I would love to just see a TV in the background with the holiday special on somewhere oh. in episode nine. That's what I want. I can on a monitor. I would go for that. Yeah, yeah. I think that's probably the easiest thing, you know, and make it, I don't know if there's any iconic scenes from this in the Star Wars fandom, but, you know, make it brief enough yet substantial that people recognize it. You could expose even poor, innocent people to it again, even more so. <laughs> they don't even know about it. It's a win-win. <laughs> okay. I wouldn't Con- call it that, but we'll, I'll go with it. All right. Controversial opinion. I Or hot take. I want them to do what they did with Peter Cushing in Rogue One, but with B. Arthur oh. in the cantina on Tatooine. <laughs> I want I, that. I would. Uh, I would definitely uh, talk about that a lot. I don't know if I'd like it. It depends. I'd have to see it, but I would oh. certainly latch onto it. <laughs> okay. Well, I want. Okay, I'm going to pitch a scene right now. J.J. Abrams, if you're out there, you can still have time to film this. I want a scene in Episode Nine where whether it be Poe Dameron or somebody, or even it could be in the Endor Calrissian TV series that's coming out in the next year. I want a scene where somebody's on Tatooine. They say, we have to find a quiet bar to have like a secret meeting. They go into one bar. and It's the B. Arthur bar with her singing to the patrons. I want that. And they're like, nope, not here. And they like, just like, they're like, we'll have to find another place. I want that. I want a reference to this. Other than like kind of cute footsie, like oh Lumpy and Mala are canon now because they like they had like an okay. offhand reference in one of the books. I want something concrete. I like I, that scene you pitched, Zach. But I want to take away the singing of B. Arthur, and I want like whatever main characters we have that go into the bar that she like accidentally pours a drink on their head, and that's why they leave. There you go, even better. They pour a drink onto. Uh, Whoever, Poe Dameron's head, I'll take it. Because it's so weird that like in like The Last Jedi, there's a Hardware Wars reference. Yet the holiday special still is this weird sort of taboo. Like I, I, that, Considering how Star Wars, and I know Jim can attest to this, has so many warts, and yet so many of those blemishes are celebrated now, how many years later, and yet still the, the, the holiday special is bastardized. Like, I don't get it. Like, considering how much, I mean, this, I, you know, we, I don't want to get into this conversation again, but considering how all Star Wars fans do is complain, and yet, like, how many years later we start to appreciate the things that we disliked originally, 
I don't know, like, I know this is another kind of hallmark that we talk about, Rob and I, on Cinemades, but it's like, how on earth has this not found some level of, like, oh, God, like, like hipster resurgence? Like, why hasn't this become, like, a chic thing where you see people, like, like you'll go around to mall, like, it's not often, but, like, you'll see Hot Topic selling, like, Milli Vanilli t-shirts. Mm-hmm. And clearly that's meant to be, like, ironic, like, oh, look. They were like they were frauds. Yeah, I'm wearing a T-shirt of them. Aren't I clever? Like, why isn't Hot Topic selling a itchy, horrible, disfigured Wookie T-shirt? Why can't I buy that for like twenty three ninety nine? It would sell to you, and that would be maybe five other people, maybe. <laughs> but there's got to be people out there that would love like the hipster chic of like. A horrible, like, I, I'm trying to, is there any other fan base that has something like this? Like, like, like Mar- does Marvel have something like this? Oh, Marvel has several of these. Marvel has, remember, there's the original Captain America? The original, original Captain America? Oh, the one where he steals a car from some lady? That movie? <laughs> Way back in the day, and then there's the show that was long-airing one, Shazam, that was a show... Uh, oh, yeah, there's all sorts of little, oh, there's, you can go back, oh, there's, oh, yeah, but the problem is, again, like that Captain America special, it's not even, rep- no one cares. It is, it's so far down the list of caring that it just isn't cared about anymore. Yeah, I agree, because I know, I know that 90s Captain America movie is a niche thing now, but, like, that was because, like, Marvel had not made a good movie yet. Like, like there was like when that movie came out, there was no good Marvel movies. There was nothing on the horizon of there being a good like Marvel movie yet. Like it wouldn't be for almost another ten years that you would get something like Blade and X Men. But with this, like this came out, like imagine like in today's day and age, like the Avengers comes out in 2012, and then 2013 we have like the comedy special where. Uh, like like Black Widow starts singing a song, and and Chris Evans has like a ton of makeup on, and like Iron Man has like is wearing like a cardboard like Iron Man suit, like that's the equivalent of this. Where it is this, and I know like Jim said, his generation blocked it out, but I, I'm still waiting for the the hipster resurgence of this. And I, I guess that's more of a rhetorical question at this point as to one that can be answered literally, but. I, I don't know. Like it's just one of those odd things where it's. I, I guess I'm fascinated as to what things become ironic touchstones in the culture, and what doesn't. Like like Jim said, yes, I would be one of maybe three other people on the face of this earth that want a holiday special itchy shirt. But there are people out there that will buy million vanilla T-shirts. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I think you're right. I, I I think what has happened is it just hasn't been mainstream topic of discussion because it just doesn't get traction you know it doesn't someone doesn't go oh there's a youtube video on this all my friends let's watch this together and let's have do a podcast and talk about what we think about it (laughs) do a podcast twice on it at least twice (laughs) at least twice (laughs) if i which is two times too many in my opinion but okay we'll go with it Yes, I'm pretty sure there's going to be another of the many Knights of Vader mugs that have been created at this point. There's going to be one with a quote that says, I would talk about the holiday special every episode if I had my druthers. Oh I'm pretty sure Rob would buy that mug. There's at least one person that would buy that mug. So I'm content with that. 
Well, and, but you know what? You're absolutely right. At some point, you know, this just hasn't gotten traction. And I don't know if it's because it's so old. You know, it's from 78. In my generation, we grew up with it and watched it. And we don't, it's not nostalgic. There's not a tremendous amount of nostalgia attached to it that I need to rewatch it mm. or dwell on it. That, that's a really interesting point of that. There is that, that nostalgia. It's weirdly enough, considering how much nostalgia now is wired into the, the core of Star Wars, and yet this is oddly one piece of Star Wars that doesn't have the benefit of that. That's that's interesting. If someone would have asked me, is there one thing in Star Wars that doesn't have nostalgia behind it? I'd say no. But that's 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 a fascinating idea, Jim. But one thing I want to bring up, and then we'll get back to asking Rob what his favorite weird moment of this is. I, <laughs> oh, yeah, you know, I, know. I apologize, Rob. No, no, because there's a good point you brought up that I, I want to bring up. Was I think it was last year for our holiday special discussion, I bookmarked, or whatever it's called on YouTube, a somebody uploaded like an HD like fan remaster of the holiday special. And it was like in shockingly good quality. And in preparation for this recording, I went back to go watch it, and I did, and I tried to do it, and the video was gone, and it said it'd been copyright striked by Disney. Bum, bum, bum! Thank you. <laughs> so, Jim, like, considering that the holiday special has been out there for years, and even though certain copies of it are still available on YouTube, but right. what do you think about the fact that for some reason Disney now is starting to take this down? Like, could we reach a point again where the holiday special is only available uh, in bootleg form, either at conventions or illegal sites that I know Rob likes to frequent on occasion? You know what? I don't doubt that at all because it's all about the money. And if they see any way of protecting themselves, their product and the money, they're going to do it. And, uh, yeah, I total agreement with that i it's interesting they did it well because lucas didn't care about it you know himself because or he would have done something about it because he's so protective about everything else but he just did he completely cut bait and ran on this he didn't want anything to do with it and you know it's interesting disney is buying a product and this is one of the products and it's part of that product catalog and maybe you'll see, you could see this come back out in some weird form or maybe an extra on one of the Blu-rays or something. I don't know. It's weird that they would do that, but I don't put it past Disney because it's all about the money. What do you think that there's like, as soon as the Disney streaming service starts, there's like a six hour period where this is the only thing on it. Like literally the only thing you can stream. That's how they kick it off. <laughs> you know. You know what? I think that would. Uh, the problem is everybody would kill themselves having to watch. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see Twitter's reaction to just one thing on Disney's streaming service, any streaming service. It'd be amazing. Well, so, absolutely right. <laughs> so, what Jim is saying that if you play the holiday special, it'd be like a Jonestown 2.0. <laughs> yeah. Drink. You know what? I would voluntarily be drinking the Kool Aid. Oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> You'd push your way to the front of the line. <laughs> I gotta get this over with, folks. Please, please, just move on. Just you're just drinking it straight out of the bowl, <laughs> dunking your whole head in. <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. Hey, kids! It turns out the Jonestown massacre occurred the day after the Star Wars holiday special aired. Coincidence? The world may never know. 
another thing about this, guys, is Star Wars and everybody else has developed this perception and everything about it. And the universe is a, you know, it's a certain thing. It's a certain way. And this special doesn't fit in it. It just doesn't fit in it. You know, it doesn't fit in the perception of what culture has taken Star Wars to be. It, it doesn't fit in anywhere. It doesn't have an, a spot in it because it's not polished. It's, uh, it's, I like that. It's not flashy. It is, it is everything that a Star Wars movie is not. I like that, that thought because it makes me think of, you know, like we were talking about why don't more people complain about this now. You know, it's like all the people that became the, the vocal majority or minority or outspoken group. You know, it's like they, they were given a box of puzzle pieces of Star Wars and one of them was a bottle cap. And they don't say, oh, this is the stupidest puzzle piece ever. They just throw it out. But when they get a new puzzle piece like The Last Jedi, that's what they complain about. Right, right. Because this piece, right, right, right. Because you know what it is? Here, here's another take on it. They want the Last Jedi to work. They mm-hmm. want the Last Jedi to work. Where they don't care if the holiday special works or not. They don't. Yes. Care. Yes. It doesn't matter. They want the Last Jedi to work. Where there's just no reason to put any effort into the holiday special. Yeah. If maybe no if you had a pair of scissors, they think maybe I could cut the piece well enough to get the Last Jedi to fit. But no matter how much you hack away at a bottle cap, it's not looking good in that puzzle. No, and, it, and there's no way with what's in that show that you could make it something that would match what everybody perceives Star Wars is turned into and developed into now, the juggernaut. That- All right. We're going to rewind it right now because I think Rob might have had one of the most profound descriptions of, the, of relating the <laughs> holiday special to The Last Jedi ever. I don't think there's a better way to sum up the Last Jedi, the holiday special, and how they both relate to the current culture in the Star Wars fandom than Rob just did. All the people that became the the vocal majority or minority or outspoken group, you know, it's like they, they were given a box of puzzle pieces of Star Wars and one of them was a bottle cap. And they don't say, oh, this is the stupidest puzzle piece ever. They just throw it out. But when they get a new puzzle piece like The Last Jedi, that's what they complain about. I know this is the wrong podcast, but we're breaking new ground. We're playing the new breaking ground. We're playing the breaking ground sound right here. We might, you know what, yes. folks? We, this podcast might have just peaked, folks. You are <laughs> at the top. We have nowhere to go but down. It might have seemed like we were on a downward spiral ever since the first episode. Yet, you know what? Even when we went down, we might have had a little inertia and just went up a little bit. But that was between the two of them. That was profound, folks. I am a, I, I am a, I am proud of both of you for that. Gold stars to both. Oh, ten I'm points happy. to ten points to Gryffindor or whoever that is. Um, <laughs> Harry Potter reference in a holiday special episode. Why not? I want to be what? the house of Johnny Depp. I want to get points for Grindelwald. <laughs> yes, ten points to Grindelwald. Going back to what Jim was saying and what Rob hinted at too was with Disney, and like Jim says, this is a like where Lucas Star Wars is always Lucas's pet project. It was a very lucrative pet project, but that's what it was at the end of the day. Like Jim already said, Disney owns this. There's a financial stake to this. Even if they make uh, uh, 100 times their investment on this, they will never be happy unless this thing is constantly making them money. But my concern with Disney is, and I, I think I've said this a few times on here, Disney terrifies me with its treatment of media. Terrifies me. 
and there's two antidotes that I want to share with you in relation to this. It ties into the fact that they're deleting this off YouTube. First is what happened with Wreck-It Ralph 2, Ralph Wrecks the Internet, or whatever it's called, was for that film, for those of you who have not seen it, it's essentially Disney's version of the Emoji Movie mixed with Ready Player One. And in that film, there's a Star I think there's a Star Wars sequence where one of the characters is being chased by some stormtroopers. And during an interview during the press tour for this film, the director of the film said, oh, we really wanted to have Kylo Ren in this movie. And they went to Lucasfilm and said, oh, can we use Kylo Ren? And their response to Lucasfilm was, we don't want you hurting the image of our villain. And that's one of the strangest comments I've ever heard about somebody wanting to use a Star Wars character in a non-canon parody sense. It's like, you're afraid you're going to hurt the, the, the appearance of our villain. Look what they've done to, like, Jim can attest. Look at what they've done to Darth Vader over the last 40 years. Like, Vader's been stretched every which way. That's like, what I was going to bring up, because I think I've seen video on the internet of, like, Darth Vader, Boba Fett, and a bunch of stormtroopers doing the electric slide at a theme park, uh, right? Absolutely. It's, you know, all right, plug, Darth Vader, our movie would be huge. Thank you. I'm out. <laughs> Jim is Jim is still holding the water for that Darth Vader solo film. Jim, oh, have yeah. you, Jim, have you read any of the Darth Vader comic? No. You sh- you should like. I think in the next couple of weeks they're going to release like the collection where you have like all the issues in like one like bound like issue. You should definitely check that out. You'd like the Darth Vader comic. All right, I'll do it. I, I will break out the bifold. Go for it. <laughs> Nice. Uh, but no, like that, that Wreck-It Ralph thing, like they don't want their villain being compromised. It's like that's all Star Wars has been is mocking the villains. It's it's like, did we not see The Last Jedi where we have the your mama joke in the first five minutes? Yeah. And yet they're afraid of of the villain being uh, uh, lowered. It's like, that's a fundamental, I, I know, I, I, everybody knows I don't like it when people just attack the, the Lucasfilm hierarchy, but if they're afraid that somebody else, like, mocking a Star Wars character is going to devalue the brand, then that's a fundamental misunderstanding of what Star Wars is. Mm-hmm. And, and that, again, that's, what's, that's Lucasfilm, that's things wrong with Lucasfilm that terrify me. Um, even though I like uh, of the Lucasfilm or the Disney era of Lucasfilm, I like three out of the four films. It's that sort of mentality that just scares the bejesus out of me. But the second point I'm going to make with Disney and how they treat media, which keeps me up at night, is look at what Disney has done with media that they just either don't like or they're afraid of. Like Jim can attest, one of Jim's favorite films is The Black Hole. Oh, nice. I, that's right in this era, and it's actually better than the holiday special. But okay, go ahead. <laughs> but my point with that being is, Jim loves that film, and yet outside of like a DVD release in like 2001, yep. they have not done anything with that movie. Nope, it's now, right for a remake, Disney, remake it. Well, I'm not even talking about a remake. Like, Jim, if they were to announce a Black Hole Blu-ray, would you go out and buy it? Sure. There you go. That that's my point. Is you have a market for this stuff. Why not do something with it? Like there are so many Disney titles that um, don't get me wrong. They're not. 
Bambi or Snow White or Cinderella, but there are titles that people would buy, like Black Hole, The Black Cauldron, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Yeah. And there's other things too, like Song of the South that are more controversial, which in today's politically correct culture, it'd be a minefield trying to get something like that re-released. But the issue is, if you're going to be the stewards of what people, or be a steward of culture... Well, it's pop culture. It's well, pop culture. Well, I think it's even beyond just pop culture. I think like certain things like 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea are part of the culture because... You can take a movie. I'm talking about right. the the Kirk Douglas James Mason version. I know there's a bunch of versions of that of that uh, story. That film has not gotten a home video release or any sort of uh, uh, update in the sense of nope. just remaster in 15 years. And right. it's one of Disney's most important films. And, and my issue is is that if Disney's not, I think we've talked about this on Cinemodies, Rob and I. Sorry for keep plugging that, but this is kind of a Cinemodies-esque discussion, <laughs> is that if Disney's not going to treat the things that made them what they were right, even though the holiday special is a wart, it still deserves the same level of at least, maybe not attention, but respect and accessibility as other pieces of media do. Like, you know, we, we, the holiday special will probably never get an HD remaster or a 4K ultra high definition Blu-ray release. It deserves to at least be out in the public space. People should at least have the opportunity to watch it and make up their mind. Disney does not have to promote it. They don't have to put it on their platform, but it should be at least accessible for people like 20,000 League, Song of the South, Black Cauldron. And yet, when Disney hides these things under the guise of, we need to protect the brand, it's like, it's already out there. If it's going to do you any damage, it's caused it by now. Time heals all wounds. And that's the story. And I don't mean to get existential here with, with, with media and what should be preserved and what shouldn't be. But it is that type of thing where it's like Lucas could do whatever he wanted. He was the private owner of this thing. And yet for Disney to come in 40 years later and say, no, you're not allowed to watch this. Yes, legally they can do that, though. But again, like stewards of culture, they should know better than to sit there, do this weird sort of form of, of I don't want to say censorship because that word's thrown around too much these days. And plus it has too many people have given that word too many meanings. But there is this sort of they're dictating what can be in the culture and what can't. And, I, and that's what I really don't like about Disney. Yeah, they're um, uh, they're more like a sieve than a faucet, you know? They filter the things out that they don't think we shouldn't see. Exactly. And, and, and I, I, you know, I know Jim right now is, is taking his belt and tying it around his neck as he finds <laughs> some sort of support beam in his house. It, I think even he can appreciate that. It should be at least, it should be there for people if they do want to watch it. Well, absolutely. And maybe this streaming service is what it will be accessed. Okay, now this is the fun juxtaposition. With that being said, considering that we have a scene with a disformed-looking Wookiee watching pornography in a psychedelic sequence... My voice is for you alone. I am found in your eyes only. I exist for you. I am in your mind as you create me. Oh, yes. I can feel my creation. 
I'm getting your message. Are you getting mine? Oh, oh, we are excited, aren't we? Well, just relax. Just relax. Yeah. We can have a good time, can't we? Oh. Mm. I'll tell you a secret. I find you adorable. Do, you, do we, any of us actually think Disney will put this on the streaming service? Well, I have to say the scene that we're referencing, while I think a lot of people, when they discuss the holiday special, they refer to it as something along the lines of pornography. But I have to say I see it differently than that. Can I elaborate, Zach? Oh, please do, Rob. There's no other reason why you're on here to elaborate on reasons like this. So, you know, it, it's, you have that whole vibe. It's very sensual, you know, that's kind of that soft core. He's in, a, he's in his own little, you know, VR experience. But honestly, I think this whole segment of the variety was whoever directed this or whoever wrote it was just like, man, I really, really want to write and shoot the intro to a James Bond movie. And they just never could. And then this was their chance because the whole beginning where there's kaleidoscopes and, you know, there's like female figures falling up and down. The only thing I could think of was a James Bond introduction. So I see it more like that than anything really sexual or more sexual than a usual James Bond intro song is. That was supposedly his fantasy. That's the thing. I'm your fantasy. And I was like, oh, my God, where's where can I? OK, I'm <laughs> I'm like, really? I'm so glad I blocked most of this out from my childhood. That's good. <laughs> Rob's doing a thing that I like to do where you start to uh, rationalize things. As Jim would say, there's probably some uh, deviation of like Stockholm syndrome where you start rationalizing things to make for your brain to make sense of it all. That could, that could be true, but I swear you take the scene and you put credits over it like text. You could fool someone. That'd be the intro to a James Bond movie. I swear. That'd be too far off. No, he has he has a point here. That's going to be my fan edit that I'll provide. <laughs> <laughs> all right, folks, check back in the next couple of weeks as Rob provides the fan edit of the holiday special. Oh my! I know you're getting at. But the only thing about, though, is that even if that is the case, ex- try explaining that to three committees at Disney. Mm, like, okay. let's, say, let's say Rob is the, the program director for Disney Plus, the streaming service, and he's trying to rally into getting this on there in some way. You're not, <laughs> you're not convincing the committees at Disney that, no, no, this isn't a, sec- a sensual moment of a Wookiee getting some sort of, of erotic imagery in his brain. This is like a, a this. You're, you're not going to sell them on. That's the thing about those that Lucas probably could be sold on that sort of rationale. A multinational, multi-billion dollar corporation is going to say, nope, can't risk it. The lawyer says no. Yeah. I, I can imagine it like Rob's. It's kind of like a uh, American Idol, the voice situation. Rob's like pitching this idea and like the executives look over to another room. There's a lawyer that has like, like a thumbs down motion. <laughs> it's like, sorry, Rob, nice chance. That is, that's a really good, a really good point. Um, where you know that that rationalization, you know, is not going to make its way across when you just watch this, as as is evidenced by all the people who usually talk about this as a pornographic scene. So I'm with you. Yeah, and that's and that's why I think it is though is that. I, I wouldn't mind if, like, like Lucas was trying to get rid of the holiday special because he was embarrassed of it. 
Disney's getting rid of it because they're afraid it's going to hurt their their dividends in the future. Mm-hmm. Like, is there anybody on Earth, as much as Jim has been mocking this the last few minutes, is there Me? anybody that... Oh, come on. I'm not mocking it at all. No. I'm actually, I'm actually a survival. I, I, I made it through. I'm a survivor. He's wearing the t-shirt right now. I survived the holiday special. <laughs> there you go. Oh, dear. I, think, I think there's what uh, a Seinfeld or a Curb Your Enthusiasm episode, something like that. But, <laughs> but the the point I'm trying to make though is, I don't think has there ever been. Okay, I want to ask Jim this: Do you think there's ever been a Star Wars fan that's been a Star Wars fan for either a day, week, month, year, decade, fifty years? Well, not fifty, forty years. That loved Star Wars, watched the holiday special for the first time, and said, "I'm out." <laughs> no, I'm still here. Well, there you go. If you, if you haven't, if you haven't shaken or you haven't shaken Force Ghost Jim yet away from Star Wars, I don't think you can. And I think that's the weird thing with Disney. It's like, is somebody going to watch the holiday special? Like, a, I don't think there's a single person on the face of this earth that's been introduced to Star Wars with the holiday special. <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> That's a very good question. You know what? We're going to do a test. Uh, last week, Zenger and I talked about how to introduce your kids or the new generation of Star Wars. I know we have a couple of... You know what? Pork Knight, I think you're... I, I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure that you're about to have a new family member. We'll give you... We will send you a free mug that whatever you feel your, your child is old enough, show them the holiday special as the first piece of Star Wars media they ever watch. I'm we will send sure you what, a free mug. I'm pretty sure what you're asking right now, Zach, might be actually a war crime. <laughs> <laughs> or the child experimentation. Child yeah, that might not be an okay thing. I mean, I'm for it. We should get. We should have you know a whole group of babies that we show the holiday special to, right? But it might babies. not be legal. For the record, I didn't say babies. I said when you feel your child is old enough. I know, but I'm throwing my, my opinion in there that we have to have an actual good experiment, you know? Not just one sample size. Q to like thirty years from now, like post apocalyptic dystopian future. Rob is like in a, like a a nursery, a hospital. Just like with like like imagine Clockwork Orange, and it's just flashing different images of the holiday special to like numerous babies in like cradles. <laughs> and I'm the one committing the war crime. We're both just suggesting it. It's okay. <laughs> we're just suggesting. Okay, we're not. Okay, you know what, Pork Knight? We're not telling you to do this. We're just throwing the idea out there. You cannot sue us. But keep in mind, there's a mug with your name on it, if you ever do. Oh, my uh, God. Just give him a mug for listening to our podcast. <laughs> Jim, Jim has definitely hit the self-degradation button when it comes to the Knights of Vader podcast. <laughs> Again, uh, I can't believe anybody listens to me anyway. I know. And oddly enough, you're the most popular one amongst us. Just, that's why we hold him back folks if we had him here every single episode you'd probably turn the pod jim like through subliminal and just outright like messaging would be like stop listening to this <laughs> you can do better you know, go read a book no but you but you know what i've enjoyed doing this podcast it's been very enjoyable for me over the years i don't mean to sound like i don't but I, I just find it very interesting that people actually care about what I have to say. That's the part about it. I think the podcast itself is fantastic. I just don't think I add a whole lot to it. And I chuckle to myself when you say things like that because I find it utterly unbelievable. Audience, a round of applause for Force Ghost Jim.
anyway, so Rob, uh, we got on this topic maybe about three, four hours ago. What is your most surreal moment from the holiday special? Oh, well, as I think, you know, as Zach said two or three hours ago, uh, he mentioned it, that he already knows my answer. And, of course, I have to say that my most bizarre, my favorite, the the best scene in this movie is the alien Julia Child scene with the whipping and the stirring. Let me tell everybody right now, I only came on this episode for two things. One, the whipping. Two, the stirring. Right? Am I right? Do you know what I mean by that, Zach? <laughs> whip. Ha, ha, what's the exact phrasing? Whip, whip, stir? Stir, stir, whip. So it's, it's, I wrote it down. I knew you, you know I had to write it down. But I only wrote the first one down because it gets pretty crazy when she throws the beat in there, when the other arms start to appear. But it is stir, whip, stir, whip, 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 stir. You ready? You want to do it again in unison? <laughs> All right. Okay. Do it one more time for me. Stir whip. Stir whip. Whip whip stir. Stir whip. Stir whip. Whip whip stir. Stir whip. Stir whip. Whip whip stir. Perfect. Perfect. Hello. Today we are going to be preparing a very succulent dish called Bantha Surprise. This is only a very hearty, nourishing dish, but it's very economical too. So all those hungry mouths in your household will be going, yummy, yum, on that tummy tum, if you just follow along with me as I prepare this popular favorite. Now, today, I'm going to be using the tenderest cut of the Bantha, the loin. The loin is very tasty and serves four nicely. Of course, if your family has a hearty appetite, I would suggest then that old popular holiday favorite, the Bantha Rump. Mmm, very tender. We just slice into bite-sized morsels. But only you know the size of a bite in your family, eh? All right. Now it's time to put our chunks into our pots. Nicely, nicely. Then we add a dash of legamo. Mmm, very good. Sprig of celandry. Mmm, very nice. Little bit of tertium. Always nice. And, uh, mmm, tertium is nice. And just a little whisper of chelto. Oh, it's looking very nice. Uh, Guess what I forgot? Uh, a bit of the calorantrum root. Wonderful. Just adds that touch of piquancy. There we go. Very nice. Mm. Now we add enough liquid to cover. And guess what we are ready for now? The cooking. Step one, we stir the mixture. Stir, 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 stir. Stir, 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 stir. Very nice. Now, step two, while we're stirring, we also whip. So it's stir, whip, stir, whip, 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 stir. Stir, whip, stir, whip, 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 stir. Now, let's try it again together at an increased tempo because precision is very important in this recipe and we do want to have a fine consistency, don't we? So, and on the count of one, stir, whip, stir, whip, 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 stir. Stir, whip, stir, whip, 
whip, whip, stir. Come on, faster all together now. Cooking can be fun. Stir, whip, stir, whip, 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 stir. Stir, whip, stir, whip, 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 stir. Wah! Having fun, having fun, all right? Coming along nicely. Now, step three. We also have to beat. So, it's beat, 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 stir, whip, stir, whip, beat, beat, stir. That's not right. I'm sorry. Stir, whip, stir, whip, 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 stir, beat, stir, whip, stir, whip, 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 stir, beat. Da, 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 da. Coming, coming along nicely. Mmm, starting to have a fine aroma. Put <laughs> it just in time. Now, at this time, I usually like to taste the broth. So we'll have a little taste and see how it's coming along. Mmm, a little bit more soap, my bit. Gamo, little tongue One for the pot. Mmm, coming along. Very nice. Oh, wonderful! Coming along nicely. So honestly, I have to say, I love this scene because they say the words whip and stir ad nauseum. Like it is. It, I think I actually get dizzy when I watch this scene. They say it so many times. But uh, simultaneously, I really like the fact that, you know, uh, Mala goes to cook because it's life day. So she has to make a meal, I guess. She turns on this cooking instructional show and it starts out completely normal. You know, you have this chef on the television or whatever it's called in Star Wars and you only see their two hands. And then they start to go through the process and they, they make some jokes and then only when the mixing starts to occur, another hand pops up. And then another hand, and Mala can't keep up because she only has two and not four. I think the delivery of that entire little vignette is perfect. I've, I've just always loved it since the moment I've seen it. Yeah, that is, that's one segment as I was, re, I was re-watching it this year. Because I, I remember it last year, and I remember it because whip, we call it whip, whip, stir, whip. It's, just, it's, it's funny, it's, it's cute, it's catchy to say, much like how we've already gone through this. And it was for this recording that I, when I watched it, this might be the greatest Star Wars Monty Python crossover that we'll ever get. Yes. This is clearly Python-esque humor. And as I watched it between the Whip Whipster, the, the, the numerous arms just appearing, at, and it's worth noting that when the numerous arms appear... They're not highlighted. It just they, it just happens. Like mm-hmm. there's no grand entrance. Like in and even as we cut back to Mala and what she's trying to very like hastily catch up to all this. And I know at one point when we have our do we even know what the character is called? Like I don't think there's a name for the character. No, I don't think there's any name other than maybe you know like chef or something that or TV cook or whatever. Even Bruce Valanche calls it Alien Julia Childs. <laughs> Alien Julia Childs. That's I think that might be the best name so far. Well, and yeah, Mal- I mean, I I always thought that it actually was supposed to be reminiscent of Julia Childs. Well, right? clearly, clearly, it's 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 a ripoff. Or, yeah, because uh, don't they have doesn't doesn't the, they say the line something like, "But only you know the size of bite in your family," and that's like really close to something Julia Childs used to always say. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's okay. That's oh no, it's definitely a parody of of her. But I think the thing that makes this resonate, or I think this <laughs> an entire special that's surreal. I think this might be the most surreal moment because people have to realize. 
like like Rob and I have talked about like things like David Lynch and like a bunch of other weird movies and crap. Like just because you do something weird, it does not mean it's surreal. Like if I show you the vacuum of space and I start having like weird flashes of colors and shapes and objects, that's not surreal, at least in the sense of how I see it. Mm-hmm. Surreal is when you take something something with a baseline that's normal. And you start warping and perverting it, in a sense. And that's what this sequence of whip, whip, stir, stir is. You take a very conventional idea that even plays out today. Someone is trying to cook a meal, and they're watching somebody else do it. They're watching an instructional video. Mm-hmm. People have been doing this ever since there was uh, the program. I can think about it. There are TV programs. To this day, there are YouTube videos that show us how to prepare food. And you take a premise like that that anybody can relate to, except in the holiday special, you have a giant, hairy Wookiee, the one trying to cook the meal, and the person showing you how the cook doing it is a four-armed creature. I know there's some debate in the Star Wars fandom that maybe this could even be a robot. Yeah, it is a little ambiguous. <laughs> Just a little. And <laughs> Hey kids, Rob and Zach are wrong. The alien Julia Child actually does have a name, Gormanda, and is not a robot, but a member of a four-armed species. I think that's, like, this is to me Star Wars at its most surreal. Is that you take something very conventional, and you have... And, and the thing that really throws me off the most about this entire thing, because there are moments that make me laugh out loud when, like, like um, the the Julia Child's alien like t- like takes like takes a sip, take a sip to make sure you get the flavors right, <laughs> and we see Mala just pick up the giant like vat and just start pouring it into her mouth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the moment in this that seals the deal for me, and it comes rather early in the segment, is strands of hair start to come out of the wig. Oh, okay. Yeah, I think this might be the biggest smoking gun of the holiday special. And I have to ask Rob this because I'm pretty sure at this point, Force Ghost Jim has hung himself <laughs> with his Force Ghost robes. But Rob, is the hair coming out intentional? Oh, I feel like I've gone back and forth on this over the years because you know. There was, like, part of me that always thought this was just oh nonsense. That this Now, this later date, I want to, you know, accept it more for, for the masterpiece it truly is. But honestly, I have to think, I have to think, no, it wasn't intentional. I, honestly, I think it might have been, like, an editing error where they used the wrong take or something like that. That's my answer. I like that as an answer because, A, if it was intentional, it takes away from the brilliance of it. Mm-hmm. And two, I like the answer of it being editing as opposed to they found it amusing because it would just add to more of the just what went on during the making of this. Yeah, yeah. I also like the Force Ghost Jim laughed at my uh, attempt at critical analysis. <laughs> I think Jim's amazed at the fact that we've devoted so much energy and thought. Oh, it's, it, Rob, Rob your, your existential come around was perfect. I'm great. I understand. <laughs> I just, it, it's just... I watched this as a child at 10 years old, and I never dreamed at age 50 I would be having an in-depth discussion about this episode and literally taking 
sections of it apart. I just, it just, it, it, it's fascinating for me to not, mind you, I am trying to stay awake, but I am interested. <laughs> in. I'm pretty right sure on. Bruce Valanche has the exact same, the writer of this gym has the exact <laughs> same opinion that you do. Oh man. <laughs> oh, but, I, and it's okay. It's okay. Oh man. This, I, I love this so much. Like that's the thing I, I want everybody to know. The holiday special, I never took. I, I've been aware of it for 12 years. And just this year that I'm finally taking it seriously. Like where it was always this weird sort of oddity that was floating out in the ether. And it's finally this year that I'm like, this might be a genuine masterpiece. Right. Like, I'm, I'm glad I'm here with you, Zach, to support you. Because clearly none of the other Knights of Vader agree with us. <laughs> no. How many no. more of them are, are of us besides me? Well, I think Zenger still hasn't watched it, and Mark, I, I, to this day, I think only got two thirds of the way through it. So, oh well. It, so far, Jim, you're the only member of Knights of Air that's actually watched it at least once. Never mind twice. Yes, voluntarily too. <laughs> well, that second time, voluntarily, maybe with a couple of like I don't know quotation marks around it. Oh, I, I guess so. I guess we'll qualify it. But. <laughs> I, have, I, I say I agree with Rob that the, uh, the the cooking segment is the most surreal. Yet there are other moments in this that are just I don't know how you would describe it to people. Like again, we, the animation segment, what it is. I know a lot of people like to dunk on that, but I think one of the segments that gets really no attention into how weird it is is the what Har the Harvey Corman as the like okay. Let me set the scene up a little bit better. Lumpy goes in to like fix a computer terminal and starts to watch like a repair video. And Harvey Corman's a robot, yet in the like prelude to him watching this instructional video, they say this model of like robot or I don't even think they say the word droid is like prone to like delays and errors. And, and like yeah, it, like lack of power and so, or something like that. Yeah, and as I watched that last year, I was—I think I even said it in the recording. I tried to figure out how much of that segment was. Oh, something went wrong with the film stock, and we need to make sense of it. <laughs> Yet, I think I, I, as time goes, as I've rewatched it a few times, I think it was intentional. It was written that way. And I don't know how many mind-altering drugs you need to be on for that to make to ma that to make sense. Never mind. Think people will find that entertaining. Well, I well, think yeah. Zach hit the nail on the head. Where I think it is intentional, and it made me feel like I was in an altered state. <laughs> intentional one because Harvey Corman. He wasn't he on uh, the Kerbonet show and all that. He was into all that improv and all that live acting. Again, this show was created so the whole family could find something entertaining to watch. And there'll be some people sitting on that television that were Harvey Corbin fans. I don't doubt that, but he he's also the Julia Child's alien. It's not just, like Jim said, there is improv there. Mm -hmm. Yet, there's also things they're doing with the editing of it. Like, they're speeding things up, they're reversing, doing like, like micro-reversals, and then playing it back like, like three times play. Like, it's more of an exercise in, like, editing. Like, if somebody said, like, we gave this to, like, a first school or a, a first-year <laughs> film editor and let them play with it, it's just a way to get to, like, their feeling of the editing bay, mm -hmm. I'd be like, oh, this makes perfect sense. 
yet it has this weird sort of like frantic kinetic energy that's inexplicable to say that it was planned that way. Like Jim said, probably some of it was done in the camera, yet a nice portion of that is being done in the editing suite. And I don't know how you, like, what would possess someone to do that with the editing? Like, I get Harvey Corman doing a shtick, but somebody had to watch that then say, oh, how are we going to enhance that? And I can't put enough quotation marks around the word enhance, so I'm not even <laughs> going to try. It's a tough one. It's a tough one because, you know, uh, the idea isn't that out there, I think, to me. I mean, at least in, you know, music, I've... I've definitely heard songs and albums that, you know, take advantage of skipping, much like they do with the audio and visuals in this. So I don't think the idea is that strange. But, you know, back in the day, in the late 70s, had anything like this ever been done? I don't know. Would people like it? Would people think of it? That I, I really don't have a good idea about. Um, the editing is very, you put it in a great way, Zach, I think, uh, frantic kinetic energy. It is a little nerve-wracking. It makes you anxious almost when you're watching this scene. It, it- Unless you really follow the plot of this thing closely, you don't know what what's going on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you uh, if you went to the bathroom before the start of a scene, you might think that you know you have to adjust your television set. Like, but going back to what Rob was saying, though, with like, oh, like whether something was done like this editing wise by nineteen seventy eight, probably a lot of weird okay. stuff happened during the sixties and seventies, but. This is the weirdest part is that you're doing experimental editing with the first with I, the first successive piece of media to the most profitable movie or, or, or in, in history. Mm-hmm. Like I, I kind of the example I went back to earlier. Like imagine after Avatar came out in 2009, the very next thing that Jimmy C released was an experimental variety show about the world of Avatar. <laughs> like, that's what yeah. this was. Like, I, again, we all laugh at this thing for being bad, but I, I don't think anybody has truly rationalized or, or, or mentally reconciled what this was, the undertaking that they did with this. Like, mm-hmm. like I'm not surprised that George Lucas is angry about this. Like, if I was in charge, like, it's his fault for not monitoring it, because clearly... If, if he wasn't so busy with a bunch of other things, he could have said, like, no, no. Like, he claims that he didn't sign off on any of this until after it was already on TV. But I just don't believe that. Or whoever he was delegating it to. Mm-hmm. Like, there's got, like, somebody needs to make a documentary. Like, like how he talked in November about, like, Superman Lives and, and the Roger Corman Fantastic Four. Someone needs to make a documentary behind the making of the holiday special. Yes. Come on, folks. Like that, how is that not a thing? Out of like all the, 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 the people out there in Hollywood, why hasn't anybody... Like, I know you wouldn't get George Lucas. Like, I, I know he's like a, a foregone player and all this. But I but, think clearly you'd get Bruce Valanche, right? He yeah, has stuff to know, say. Though. Like, how many interviews does Bruce Valanche do now? I, like, I'm pretty sure you're never going to get another Bruce Valanche interview about the holiday special. I don't know. Zach might not know, but he was actually on an episode of Shark Tank not too long ago. <laughs> Maybe then. Who knows? Maybe. Okay, Rob, who do we tweet to to get Bruce Valanche on this podcast? You think Bruce Valanche does his own Twitter? I don't know. Bruce Valanche, like, doing, like, research for this episode, Bruce Valanche was, like, the head writer of, like, the Oscars for, like, 
15 years. <laughs> so, like, like, people laugh at him as being, like, the guy on Hollywood Squares, yet he legit holds power in Hollywood. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I'll have to get back to you. We'll have to track him down for sure. All right. If anybody, if anybody is close friends with Bruce Valanche, if you could put in a nice word about Knights of Vader to him, we would be infinitely appreciative. Where, where do we want to go from here at the holiday special? So there's there's another scene that's I'm, I'm ready to wrap oh. it up. I'm ready to be done with this whole conversation. <laughs> Jim, to be fair, you were ready to be done with this conversation when we first started recording. You know what? That's true too. That's true. I'll, <laughs> give, you that. I'll give you that. Do you guys want to keep going and I can just bow out? Because I I'm done. <laughs> I think that's more up to Zach than me. If, if if I had if I was up to me, you'd have to stay here the entire six hours. Zach and I are going to discuss the rest of this. <laughs> well, there, there's there's uh, always there's always next year. Yeah, it's not. <laughs> okay, Rob. What was what was one point you want to bring up? Sure. Hopefully, this is a this kind of ties into a more general Star Wars question I have, and it's not about droids, Zach. So you know, oh, there fuck. you go. Be be happy about that. Um, so. It's not one of the one of the variety aspects. It's um, one of the scenes where we have C three PO and Princess Leia talking to Mala, or C three PO like connects to Mala um, through you know some type of television, like the usual comm device. So, I guess I want to start with the question: Why does Princess Leia hate Mala now that there is Mala's in canon? This scene, this maybe 45-second scene, Princess Leia is such a jerk to Chewbacca's wife. It's unbelievable. Do you, should I give some, some uh, more background on the scene, Zach? I, I guess I should, since most people probably have no you idea what I'm talking about. This, you don't have to. This, people can go back and watch it themselves. <laughs> Even You know what? I'm going to take a, a hint from Force Ghost Jim. We'll insert the clip right here. Perfect. Oh. I have made the connection. You may speak now if you wish. Mala, it's so good to see you. Happy Life Day. She says it may be a happy life day for you, but personally, she's seen happier ones. I don't want to tire the channels. So could you do me a favor and send either Chewbacca or Han Solo to the screen, please? She says that she would like to grant your request, but is quite unable to do so. You mean they haven't arrived yet? She says there has been no contact. Yes, I think I understand her message. That Imperial Patrol must be giving them more trouble than we bargained for. Mala, are, are you alone? If you would permit me. No, she says she is not alone. She's with a friend. Could he come to the screen, please? Good afternoon, ma'am. I'm Sondan, a local trader, a friend of the Rebellion, and a member of the Alliance. Oh, good. Look, I know I can count on you to take care of my friends until their leader returns. You'll do that for me, won't you? Yes, indeed, ma'am. That's what I'm here for. She's expressing her warmth towards the trader. Look, I can see you're in good hands, Mala. I'll contact you again soon. <laughs> Like, what is that? Princess Leia's like, I don't want to talk to you. I don't want anybody to translate, give me a human. It's like racist almost. 
Well, and, and it's so funny is the thing about that scene I laughed about is she goes, can you, I want to talk to Han Solo. Like they had to explain who Han Solo was and say his <laughs> whole name instead of Han. Not like those two haven't been bedmates forever and a day, those Chewie and Han, you know, but, but I mean, she, it, it's, it's on network television. They're trying to get Chewbacca. I want to talk to Han Solo. Like, what do you take? You guys are all family and friends. You all know. Why did you have to say his last name? <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> that was one thing I it stuck out in my head. I went, oh, my God. Besides her being a complete to oh. Nala. Oh, man. Jim's not putting up with any of that, that nastiness toward <laughs> oh, Nala. You, to, uh, you may have to edit that out. I apologize. I'll say it again. She was being so hard to get along with with Nala. There you go. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to keep both of those in. Oh, that's fine by me. Uh, no, Rob, I, I don't know if there's a reason why. I like to imagine that's there because some probably some studio executive back in the 70s was like, like, like out of all the notes, probably was underlined the most, who's Han Solo? Probably some executive <laughs> that's never saw Star Wars. <laughs> but again, I, 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 it's such an awkward scene, but this whole thing is awkward. This whole yes. thing is it's so awkward in the, in the dialogue. And, and, and the interaction, and there's no... You could tell that this whole thing was forced from start to finish. I, oh, yeah. It's just... <laughs> it's just... It's just painful to watch it. Now that you know what it can be, you know, Star Wars can be, but, you know, at the time, you're like, oh, my God. You're just looking back. It's, it's, uh, it's a part of my childhood, but I haven't thought about it this much ever. So... Uh, <laughs> Right on. I'm debating we might do a bonus episode where Rob continues to talk about the holiday special. <laughs> but I also don't want him to burn through all of his tricks for next year's episode. So, Well, I mean, I, I am tempted to say that I think in a year from now, if Zach, if, if this podcast is still going on, if we're all you know still around and willing to talk about the holiday special, uh, I think next year I would have a very detailed discussion ready for how I think the holiday special parallels Waiting for Godot by Samuel Beckett. That's what you have to look forward to next year, Zach. You know what? Next year, if you wanted to watch, not that I would participate because I'm qualified. <laughs> we ought to do a live stream version of it. Everybody watching it all at the same time. Mm. I'm pretty sure Disney would sue us. <laughs> but you know what? At least we get press. <laughs> Nice of Vader jerks get sued by Disney. Go bankrupt instantaneously. <laughs> but <laughs> downloads are through the roof. <laughs> <laughs> well, who was it? We were beating a dead horse a while ago on what what episode was that? that we were like, oh my god, we got to stop talking about this. Which one was that? I think that's all of them, Jim. I think I think was <laughs> worse. Zanger and I were on the same page on that one. I can't remember which one that was. The gavels. Remember the gavel episode? Yes, that was the gavel. There's, Jim, Jim, you haven't been you haven't been following the podcast. The gavel still is around. It's that's not a distant thing. Oh, Jim. I know that, but I'm just saying that's what I when I was around. We were both banging gavels on that episode, if I remember. Yes, I forgot. You have a real gavel. You're you, unlike uh, Zenger, who's just a, a pretend judge. To wrap this up, we are approaching, I think, six hours of recording. <laughs> my my final question to both of you is. Should, I think I asked this last year. It's going to be the topic I end every holiday special discussion with. Should P, should Star Wars fans watch this at least once in their life as a fan of Star Wars? I, I say yes, but it's not mandatory. 
you can watch it and realize, be thankful for what you've got, because it could have been this? Uh, so Zach might roll his eyes at my answer, but I'm going to say yes, it is mandatory, and specifically as a late-night movie. <laughs> I think we had a drinking game in this. I'll be willing to watch it again as a drinking game. Oh, of course. That's late-night movie is perfect for drinking games. All right. All right. Considering that I don't, I don't drink alcohol. Uh, late. Uh, this is the snack. What? What? Okay. Considering we don't have a snack for this, what is the choice of alcohol that we use during this drinking game? Hard alcohol to get there drunk quicker. Oh, it's definitely got to be liquor. Oh, a hundred percent. Hundred percent. Is there a particular um, type of liquor that would be best for the holiday special? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I, I usually. I don't usually think of like associating alcohol with Star Wars. You know, maybe just drink a choice. Keep it fun for everybody. That way everybody, you know, is oh, God, yes. more, you have to more willing to drink more. <laughs> no, that's right. To get you through this whole thing. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> I'm going to kind of mirror my sentiments from last year. I think every Star Wars fan needs to watch this at least once. Um, you might not have to like it, but you kind of, it's kind of like eating your vegetables. You got to do it to at least appreciate the other things in Star Wars. As much as people like to complain about The Last Jedi... Um, like kind of like what Jim said, you could be getting something like this, which really kind of puts you mentally in the same perspective of, you know what? We don't really have things bad. It's kind of like when your parents would threaten you at Christmas time when you were asking for like thousands of dollars of toys. And you're like, I'm going to take you down to the homeless shelter one year for Christmas. and You're going to learn how the people on the other side of the tracks live. It's kind of <laughs> like that where you, like, you, in an alternate dimension, we don't have good Star Wars movies. We have Star Wars, the holiday special then the Splinter of the Mind's Eye movie, and then that's it. Hey, I'd like to see that. Of course you would, Jeff. <laughs> I read the book when it came out. I'm still in possession of it. Cool. You have like the 1970, like what is it, the 19, when was that published? Oh, it's like 1980. The original version of it. Nice. Uh, cool beans. So concludes this episode of the Knights of Vader, a Star Wars podcast. Make sure to follow us on Twitter at K0VPodcast. Check out our Facebook group, type in Knights of Vader in the Facebook, and chances are you'll find us, and you too will become a Force Ghost Jim groupie. <laughs> if you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes or whatever podcasting platform you're currently listening to us on. Thank you to Anspiriority Complex for providing our theme song. Their new album, Semi-Perfect Yet Sublime, is now out, is available on Bandcamp. Check the show notes to check out that new album and Anspiriority Complex as a whole. For questions, comments, concerns, or snide remarks, contact me, Zach, on Twitter, at Rogue Knight, K-N-I-T-E, and on the Cinemodies podcast, where we'll be talking about... I, I have no idea when this episode is releasing, but I want to say elves? Maybe? <laughs> no, we'll be talking about 2000's Dr. Seuss's How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Oh, okay, but, okay. But thanks for playing, Rob. I, I don't know my own podcast. <laughs> I know. What, what, what a sham you are. What a sham Cinemodies is. Where can people find you, Force Ghost Jim? On Twitter at, uh, at, at JT Star Destroyer. And then I'm on Facebook. You can pull in through the, the podcast if you want to communicate. Yes. Force Ghost Jim is usually lurking in the Facebook group. If you want to get in contact with him and chill with the other Force Ghost Jim groupies, you will find him there. And Rob, where can people find you when you're not uh, evangelizing about the many talents of Amelia Clark? Yeah, if you don't see me on the street corner singing her praises, uh, you can find me on the Anne Inspiriority Complex Facebook page. 
And Zach stole a lot of my thunder with the advertisement for our second album, which everybody should check out. But I believe at the day of this recording, I was arguing with our aggregator quite a bit. I think when this comes out, we will be on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Amazon, in addition to our Bandcamp page. So check us out. And until then, you can hear me sing until I rant about droids next time. Oh, boy. All righty, folks. This is another great holiday special episode. Next week, we'll be doing our Festivus episode. If you ha- I'll be opening up in the Facebook group a, a discussion tab. If you have any sort of Star Wars complaints or grievances, or hey, any grievances about pop culture or anything in general, we'll read them on the podcast. We'll definitely prioritize the Star Wars ones first. But if you want to air your Star Wars grievances, next week's episode is the place it will be heard by our many tens of listeners. <laughs> All uh- right. I want to thank Rob for coming on. I want to thank Force Ghost Jim for making an appearance out of the Octo Tree. And we will see you again next week, everybody. Bye. Bye. Goodbye. Good night, friend. Good night, friend. Good night, but not...